Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Jacob Isaacson chewed his lip as he paced back and forth in the tent. Rachel heard him get up and begin mumbling. She rolled over and tried to go back to sleep. This was becoming a regular occurrence on this journey. Jacob was wrestling with God in the darkness. Trying not to disturb his wife, Jacob whispered a prayer. God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, why do you continually deliver me into the hands of those who hate me? You allowed my father Isaac to favor my brother Esau over me, despite your promise the older would serve the younger. He was going to give Esau everything, even though Esau despised his birthright, sold his inheritance to me for a bowl of stew. Then Esau blamed me for his folly, vowed he would murder me once father had died. Still I was the one who was exiled, told to flee the family I loved and the household I had prospered, while Esau wasted his days with hunting trips and Canaanite women. Father sent me away to the home of my mother to find a wife there who would fear your name as Rebecca did, and who awaited me there but my uncle Laban, the greedy scoundrel. He made me, his sister's son, work seven years to marry my beloved Rachel. And then on my wedding night, he deceived me. He, he gave me her sister Leah instead. And when I confronted him with this wickedness, did he repent and, and make amends? No, he made me work another seven years to marry Rachel. And during those 14 long years, Lord, you continued to subject me to constant struggle at first, it was the conflict and constant competition between Rachel and Leah. You made Leah fruitful right away, granting us such strong sons, Reuben and Simeon, Levi and Judah. But you withheld children from Rachel. Don't I remember how she came to me with such tears in her desperation? Give me children or I shall die, she wailed. I should have known better, but she was so distraught I gave in to her. She took a page out of Grandma Sarah's book and gave me sons through her servant Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali, and, and for a time she was pleased. How did she characterize it? Ah, yes, I remember. She said, with mighty wrestlings of God, I have wrestled my sister and have prevailed. That struck me even then, Lord. She said it as though you, you were the one wrestling with Leah through her. And wasn't I right in the middle of it all, wrestling with you all over what should have been a time of great joy? Lord, when you finally opened Rachel's womb and blessed us with Joseph, I thought maybe the wrestlings would cease. But it didn't. Leah was jealous as always. You gave us Gad and Asher through Leah's servant Zilpah, and finally Issachar and Zebulun and our daughter Dinah through Leah. Such wonderful blessings, Lord, yet I fear the strife has only begun. I can tell the older boys resent Joseph, just as Esau resented me. Only you know what will come of that. 
And this whole time, 20 years, Lord, I've been under the tyranny of my uncle Laban. Though he knew you were blessing his household because of me, still he could not deal honestly with me. He cheated me and he changed my wages ten times. It was only through the labor of my hands and your gracious provision that I was able to flourish while Laban squandered the inheritance that should have gone to Rachel and Leah. And so you spoke to me in the dream, just as you did at Bethel. You said, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. At the time, I thought you were working a great exodus for me and my family. But when Laban realized he was losing his slave labor, he pursued us into the wilderness. Rachel proved to be a shrewd woman just like mother, deceiving the tyrant father and delivering us from his wickedness. And so Laban and I finally had it out right then and there. We wrestled out a covenant that would ensure my family's safety. Ha! Safety! That's a laugh. Because where have you called me, Lord? Where have we been traveling these many long days? Right into the hands of my brother Esau, the brother whom I've wrestled with since before we were born, the brother who blames me for all his misfortune, the brother who claims I stole his birthright, the brother who vowed to murder me once our father is dead. And perhaps my father is dead. I've been gone 20 years. Perhaps it's time for Esau to fulfill his vow. Have you brought us into this land to fall by the sword? Will my wives and my children become a prey to Esau, the mighty hunter? Jacob Isaacson carried on like this for hours, rising and pacing and praying throughout the night. Sleep was fleeting. The previous day, he had sent messengers before him to Esau with a carefully crafted message, a, a message Jacob hoped might go some way to diffusing the ticking time bomb of the 20-year grudge Esau was likely holding against him. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob well remembered, and he knew Esau would remember too how things had been when Jacob left so long ago. Though it took a, a huge risk and shrewd deception, in the end Isaac did bless Jacob over Esau as God had commanded. Isaac had given Jacob the blessing of the firstborn, made Jacob the inheritor of the covenant with Abraham, and, and called him to take possession of the land given to Abraham. Surely Esau would assume if Jacob was returning to the land, he intended to claim what was his, by violence if necessary, and Esau was never one to back down from a fight. But Jacob had become a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He had learned how to turn sorrow to wisdom. He had been matured through suffering. And so Jacob approached Esau wisely. 
Though Jacob had received the blessing of the firstborn, the older shall serve the younger as God foretold. Still, Jacob humbled himself before Esau, granting Esau the title of Lord. He told Esau that he had not spent this time away building an army to return as conqueror. He had been stewarding another great household. He had been herding livestock. He'd been working the field with their uncle Laban. He told Esau he had already acquired great wealth and a large household. He wasn't coming to steal Esau's stuff. He didn't need it. So Jacob sent messengers to say these things to Esau. When they returned, they reported, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. It's as I feared, sighed Jacob. The mighty hunter has come loaded for bear. He dismissed the messengers with a wave of his hand. He began to walk away from the camp and to pray once again. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude." Jacob feared the Lord, the God of Abraham, the fear of his father Isaac, and he feared Esau. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a livid brother. Jacob reminded God of his calling. You brought me here, Lord. You told me to come, and I have come. I did what you asked, so I am begging you to do what you promised. Deliver me. Preserve my children, the sons of your promise. Lord, how will we survive this? Give me wisdom. Jacob stayed there that night. His sleep was troubled by fears again. And yet amidst the nightmares, a vision emerged. The Lord who had shown him the house of God and the gate of heaven so long ago showed him another way forward, the way of descending in order to ascend. When Jacob awoke, a plan had formed in his mind, a, a present for Esau, a great gift from the younger brother. He would send 400 goats, 220 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows, 30 donkeys, an embarrassment of riches. And he would send them out in droves and send them out with his servants. He told his servants, pass before my face, pass on ahead of me, put a space between the groups of animals, string them out so that they will come to Esau, not all at once, but in waves, that waves of grace might break upon the rocks of Esau's wrath and slowly wear him down. When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And who are these before your face? 
Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, Jacob is coming behind us. Each group that comes to Esau will deliver the same message. The word of grace over and over again. Jacob thought, in Hebrew terms, I may appease his hard face with the present that goes before my face, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will lift my face. Here's the hard-won wisdom of Jacob once again. By bowing his face in humility before Esau, Jacob hoped to wipe the angry snarl off Esau's face. Jacob hoped instead to look upon the face of a reconciled brother, and perhaps in return, Esau might lift Jacob's face and welcome him home. It's a wise strategy, but will it work? So the great gift, the grace of the younger brother, passed before the face of Jacob, and his servants guided the flocks toward Esau, and Jacob stayed behind to wonder how the gift would be received. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, a tributary of the Jordan. Now inside the promised land, Jacob put the family to bed for the night. Once again he found himself unable to sleep, wondering how this great gift had gone over. Late into the night, he finally gave up on sleep. He got up and stepped out of the tent to pace and to pray once again. He'd walked a good distance away from the camp, away from the firelight and the ears of the children, the pitch blackness of the night enveloping him, a place where he could be alone with God. Suddenly, the hairs on his neck straightened. He felt a presence in the darkness. Before he knew what was happening, a man leapt upon him, wrapped him up, and slammed him into the dirt. The man began to rain down blows upon Jacob, grasping at his throat, crushing him under his weight. Jacob's arms and legs flailed instinctively, trying to shield his body, trying to get hold of his attacker, grasping for breath as the dust clouded his nostrils and lungs. It's odd how active the mind can be when the body is so furiously occupied. Though he found himself in a desperate struggle to save his life, still Jacob's mind began to race, wondering where this man had come from, who he might be. Of course, his first thought was Esau, the older brother. Perhaps the great gift had not been well received. How fitting it would be. At the beginning of his life, Jacob had wrestled his brother in the darkness of their mother's womb. Now his life would end by the hand of his brother as they wrestled in the darkness of the night. Was it Esau who had crept into Jacob's camp, wrapped in thick darkness, come to murder his brother and fulfill the vow he had made 20 years ago? Or maybe it was Laban. Perhaps once again Laban was going to renege on a deal. He had pursued Jacob into the wilderness a second time to capture and bring back his cash cow, his talisman of divine blessing, see if he could get another 14 years of slave labor out of him. Could it be Laban who tumbled and twisted with Jacob in the dirt? 
Then, punch drunk as he now was, Jacob considered an even more ridiculous scenario. What if his father Isaac was still alive? What if Isaac had come out to attack his son in the wilderness? Isaac knew better than anyone what wickedness a father might visit upon his son. What if Isaac had waited till dark so Jacob would not have the advantage over his ailing eyes? As Jacob continued to grapple with the stranger in the darkness, he could not have put it into words, but the situation felt strangely normal. After all, Jacob had been wrestling against men his entire life. He had been despised and rejected by brother, father, and uncle alike. Yet in all these cases, Jacob had prevailed. The Lord had blessed him and provided for him and delivered him out of every scheme of man. Jacob was a born and bred wrestler. Hadn't his parents named him as such? Jacob, he who grasps the heel, he who trips up his enemies and rises to reign over them. And so Jacob did what he had always done, what he'd been doing since the day he was born. He shifted his hips. He slithered out of the stranger's grasp. He rolled around behind him, wrapped his legs around his chest, squeezed to hinder his breath. Jacob passed his right arm under the stranger's chin and interlocked his arms at the elbow and sunk all his weight into a chokehold, squeezing with all the strength he had left. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Still, Jacob didn't tap. One-legged, he continued to squeeze the breath out of the stranger and felt the wind of his lungs blow over his face. Then the stranger gasped, Let me go, for the day has broken. For some reason, this stranger did not want to be seen. Is it dangerous for him to be seen by the eyes of men? Or is it dangerous for men to look on this stranger face to face? Jacob responded without thinking and was almost surprised to hear himself say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Not something we might say to someone who has attacked us in the middle of the night. But remember Jacob's life. Though blessed by God from before his birth, every earthly blessing he's ever gotten, he had to wrestle from the hands of men, from Esau, from Isaac, from Laban. He has contended with men for everything he has, so he demands a blessing. Or perhaps Jacob had another vision, another insight. Perhaps he suspected the true identity of the stranger. Of course, why hadn't he seen it before? Who had he been wrestling with in the darkness of the night for these many past weeks? Who was the one who kept bringing these wicked men into the path of his life? Who was the wrestler behind every other wrestler? What stranger wraps himself in thick darkness and hides his face from mankind? What stranger says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live? Jacob knew when he was wrestling with wicked men, and when he was wrestling with someone far greater. And so Jacob, being Jacob, sought to wrestle the greater blessing from the greater father. The stranger asks Jacob a question, though he already knew the answer. 
He said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, he who wrestles with God. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Like a newborn son circumcised into the covenant and given a new name, so Jacob was wounded in his inner thigh and given a new name, a new identity, Israel. He who wrestles with God and with men and prevails. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But the God who clothes himself in thick darkness preferred to remain obscure. He did not tell Jacob his name, but he did give Jacob his blessing. The blessing of wrestling with God and emerging as a new creation. And then the stranger vanished. Now Jacob knew the identity of his attacker. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. Still limping from the battle with God, Jacob prepared to meet another attack. He had not strength left to fight. He had nothing left to give Esau. His wives and his children were there with him. In wisdom, he humbled himself again, bowing seven times before Esau, placing his life in Esau's hands and in the hands of God. Esau ran to meet him and fell upon him, not to strangle him, but to embrace him. With tears in his eyes, he kissed his brother and rejoiced to see him. Jacob was shocked speechless for a time. Esau even tried to return the great gift Jacob had given him, but Jacob wouldn't let him do it. Jacob said, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept the gift from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Jacob had wrestled with God and had prevailed. He had seen the face of God and received God's gracious blessing. And now he saw the face of God in the face of his brother Esau. The face of another whom he had once wrestled, over whom he had prevailed. And now Jacob's humility and grace have prevailed over Esau's anger. Jacob has brought blessing to the one who foolishly sold his blessing away. A great gift of grace from the younger brother. Jacob saw the face of God in the face of Esau, and thus he began to see that God had not only wrestled with him the previous night, God had been wrestling with Jacob his whole life. Through Esau, through Isaac, through Laban, through his own family, God had been putting these contenders in Jacob's path every step of the way. Why would God constantly subject his chosen son to the rejection and oppression of men, 
to the suffering and sorrow of life. Why did God wrestle with Jacob? Because that's what fathers do with their beloved sons. They wrestle with them. Who here can attest to that? Good fathers wrestle with their sons. Why? Because sons need to wrestle with their father in order to grow, in order to mature, in order to become the kind of man who can protect and provide for a family, the kind of man who can resist the attacks of the evil one, the kind of man who knows the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can hardly prevent a son from wrestling with his father. He knows dad's stronger than he is, and he feels safe under dad's protection while he's young, and yet he longs to test his strength against dad's. And he longs for that day far in the future when he will finally best his father, when dad has to tap out and say, let me go. And the good father longs for that day too. He wants his son to prevail over him because that's been the aim all along, that the son would grow up to mature manhood. Just as his physical muscles will only grow by the repeated process of tearing and healing, so the boy will only mature by facing the hardships and challenges of life and finding, by the grace of God, that he is well able to overcome. So that's the story of Jacob. The father has been wrestling with his beloved son this whole time in order to make his son mature, in order to make his son wise, in order to give his son the wisdom and strength and skill that he will need to return to the promised land and to take hold of those promises and to provide for the household of God the same way God has provided for and protected him through all his wrestlings. This is why Jacob has become Israel. And this is why that name sticks to his descendants ever after. Israel is God's son. And the rest of this book is the story of God wrestling with his son in order to bring them to glorious maturity. And at times it's a knockdown, drag out brawl, too. The mat is covered in sweat and spit and blood. And it always seems. As much as the father would like to see the children of Israel prevail over him and receive his blessing, they often back down from the challenge. They fail to embrace his calling. They fail to wrestle with God. And so eventually, the younger brother must step into the ring. The true and greater Israel, our Lord Jesus Christ, entered our world and took on our wrestling. The father subjected his son to the rejection and oppression of his fathers and brothers in Jerusalem. He allowed his son to be disinherited, cheated, abused. And the day before the fateful contest, the son stood outside the camp, alone in the darkness, chewing his lip, praying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the next day, in the darkness, the father poured out his wrath on the son, who was crucified in place 
of disobedient sons and daughters like us. And the son wrestled with the father from his cross. His bones were put out of joint. His hands and feet were pierced. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he would not let go until he had secured the blessing of the one who had stricken him. He wrestled with the power of men, with the powers of sin, death, and Satan, as no son ever has or ever will again. And dying, he put our sinful flesh to death once and for all in the circumcision of his crucifixion. And on the third day, the younger brother prevailed. The father who had wrestled with him now lifted his face, raised him up and blessed him, giving him a new name, the Savior of the world. The father made the founder of our salvation perfect, mature, through suffering. You see, Jesus is the only real grown-up there has ever been. For when he was raised, he was raised a glorified human being, entirely freed from the shackles of sin and death and decay fully glorified, fully exalted, God's fullest intention for humanity and the fulfillment of all his designs. Jesus is the true Israel, for Jesus alone has striven with God and with men from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. Only Jesus has prevailed. And being fully matured and glorified, Jesus alone is the Son worthy of all rule and authority at the Father's right hand. And to this throne he has ascended, and from this throne he rules over all. And what of us? What Esau's and Isaac's and Laban's has God placed in your path? What suffering, rejection, and oppression have you experienced at the hands of men? perhaps even at the hands of your own family? Are you able to see the face of God in the suffering he has brought to you? Has he caught you by surprise in the night? Have you wrestled with God in the darkness? Has your encounter with the Holy One of Israel left you limping? You too are Israel. In your life, you will wrestle with God and man. And if you are united by faith to the true Israel, to Jesus Christ, if he has put his name upon you, as he did for Julia this morning, then in him you too shall prevail. If you continue to entrust yourself to God, continue to obey his word as Jacob did, if you give yourself to wrestle with God and for God, he will cause you to prevail. He will test you as he tests all his beloved sons and daughters. He will break you down to build you back up. He will teach you to turn sorrow to wisdom. You may leave limping, but you will leave with his blessing. Do not let him go until he blesses you. And thus your father will mature you. He will perfect you as he has his son Jesus. And on the last day he will raise you up. He will lift up your face. You will be as Jesus is now. Fully healed. Fully restored. Fully glorified. Fully grown. A new 
creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess we do not want to wrestle with you. We do not want to be built up if it means we must first be broken down. We do not want to learn wisdom if it means we must first learn sorrow. We do not want resurrection if it means we must die. We are afraid. And yet we know this is the only way of salvation from sin, suffering, and death in this world. It is the path to which you called your servant Jacob. It is the path to which you called your beloved son Jesus and by which you matured him to be the founder of our salvation. So grant us faith to wrestle with the world and with you that we too might be matured in the image of Christ and being found in him that we might prevail. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.